The reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hands up if the names Mrs. Hinch, Mr. Beast, PewDiePie, they mean anything to you? Put your hand up if they mean anything to you. Yeah, I can see one or two names going up. Yep, a few names. Okay, keep your hands up. I'm guessing a few more of you might know who Joe Wicks is. If you've heard of Joe Wicks, put a hand up. Joe Sugg. If you watch Strictly, you might have heard of him. Not this time, but I think he's been on Strictly in the past. Cara Delevingne. Andrew Tate. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, you can put your hands down. Chances are, though, if you know who all of those folks are, you're under the age of... I don't know, should we say 30, and you spend a lot of time online. (laughs) All of those people, for good or ill, maybe mostly ill, that's debatable, uh, are what is is known as social media influencers. They're influencers. Now, if you don't know, a social media influencer is somebody who has lots of followers i.e. they're connected, they've got people connected with them or following, uh, following them um, on their online accounts. And they're doing that because of the content that they put out on their online accounts. It's normally niche specialist knowledge um, or humour or niche specialist knowledge mixed with, with humour <laughs> that they do. Oh, and did I say that because of this? they can attract a lot of sponsorship, and some of them make a living out of it. Now, apparently, this is what we need to know, there are different types of influencers, so if on one platform alone you are followed or connected with between 1,000 and uh, 10,000 people, you are a nano-influencer. If you've got between 10,000 and 100,000, you're a micro-influencer. 100,000 and a million, you're a macro-influencer. But get this, if you are connected with over a million people, you are a mega influencer. Mega. So I checked how many followers I have on Instagram. (laughs) 30. (laughs) Maybe not doing very well there. Uh, I fare a little better on on Facebook. I have 778 friends on, on Facebook. But here's the point. We are all influencers. We're all influencers. Whether or not we have lots of online contact or none at all, all of us have contact with other people. It might be friends, 
Uh, it might be fellow students. It might be teachers or lecturers at, at, at uni. Uh, it might be fellow workers, uh, employees, bosses. It might be family, neighbor, a shop assistant, a carer, person who calls you up trying to sell you something on the telephone when you least want that call. <laughs> one way or another, each one of us has contact with somebody else. And in that sense, we are influencers. You are an influencer, whether that is to many or just a few. And the question that we have to consider this morning is this. What kind of influencer are you? That's the question. That is what today's short passage from Matthew's Gospel is all about. Citizens of Jesus' kingdom are supposed to be seen and be seen making a difference in a dark world that is in rebellion to its rightful king. In short, we are called to be influencers for Jesus. Not for our own fame, not for our own gain, but influences for Jesus, for the sake of the lost. Well, last week uh, we began to look at this very famous uh, part of Scripture. Sometimes it's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, over three chapters, five through seven, Matthew records a time when Jesus goes up a hillside and begins to teach the disciples with the crowd listening in. And interestingly, commentators agree that Matthew is probably not recording the entire sermon here. More than likely, what's recorded in 5 through 7 is a compressed form of what Jesus taught. Because if you, if you were to read aloud all of Matthew 5 to 7, it, it probably wouldn't take very long, maybe half an hour or so. And we know that the crowds actually spent days with Jesus. He would have said loads more than what we have just recorded in Matthew 5 uh, through to 7. Nevertheless, Jesus was uh, a traveling preacher. He was an itinerant preacher. And like any good traveling preacher, he would have repeated his same core material. And he would have repeated that material in easy to remember ways so that it could be learnt. And learnt by heart. Perhaps us modern preachers uh, have much to learn in this regard, uh, repeating themes and keeping things simple. And it seems like Matthew records one of these key uh, um, core concepts in verses 13 to 16 that Rosalind read for us earlier. They're a classic example of this simple, illustrated teaching that would allow Jesus' listeners to remember what he had said. Remember, no notebooks, no sermon handouts, no mobile phones on which to take notes back then. None of that. Just two brilliant pictures to illustrate the sort of influences the king's citizens need to be. Jesus says that you and I need to be salt that delays decay and light that dispels darkness in order to point people to Jesus. In a moment, we'll look at each uh, one of those in turn and consider how we can put what Jesus is, is teaching here into practice. But first, notice how these pictures, salt and light, relate to what we looked at last week um, and uh, 
uh, and the characteristics that we saw last week that the king's citizens have. Three comments, I think, just to help make that link and set these verses in context. So if you've got your Bibles open, um, that would be really helpful. Matthew chapter 5, page 968, and just follow through on, on some of these things. First thing to say is that the characteristics and the attitudes that we looked at last week, those things that the king's citizens have, they're both a present reality and a future fulfillment. So if you just look back briefly to verse 3, verse 3 and verse 8 from last week, it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's verse 3. Present tense, theirs is. So verse 8, so look, look at verse 8, um, uh, verse 8 as well. Blessed are those, it's not verse 8, is it? It's um, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Present tense. But between these two bookends in the present tense, the blessings are described as things to be fulfilled in the future. So blessed are those who mourn, verse 4, for they will be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, and so on, and so on, and so on. But salt that delays decay, and light that dispels darkness, play out in the present They're characteristics that belong to the here and now. We may have nothing now and gain everything then, as we were looking at last week. But we are salt and light now, whatever the state of our current blessing. Why is that? Second point of context for us, as we saw again at the end of last week, the king's citizens live and work now in a world that fundamentally hates and opposes the king. Oh, and by the way, persecutes his citizens too. Verse 11, if you remember, that we looked at last time. Blessed, um, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Remember, Christians are all misfits. We're misfits. We're misfits in a world of decay. And we're misfits in a world of darkness. This has been the spiritual reality ever since the initial rebellion of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Man, at war with man, hears not. Creation itself subject to the curse of death. I mean, forget global warming or nuclear Armageddon. The deterioration of this world has been a certain reality since Adam and Eve tucked into that forbidden fruit. Paul calls this world a crooked and perverse generation on the path to destruction and misery. And all of us, according to Isaiah, are wrapped in thick darkness. These two themes, decay and darkness, two present realities that we've got to grasp fully if we're going to understand the pictures that Jesus uses of salt and light. Finally, by way of context, know this. Misfits, you are salt and light. You are. Verse 13 that, uh, that, we, we, that we read, you are the salt of the earth. earth. Verse 15, you are the light of the world. The king's citizens are are 
influences. This isn't something you work at. As soon as you become a Christian, you are salt that is meant to delay decay. And you are light that is meant to dispel darkness. The question, dear friends, is what kind of salt, what kind of light, what kind of influences are we going to be for the king? And this is a direct link with what we looked at last week. Because if we live as the king's citizens who have nothing, and if we protect and invest in the qualities outlined in verses 1 through 12, then we will be those who make a difference for the king. So, firstly then, salt that delays decay. Let's have another look at verse 13. It says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness... How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Today, uh, salt has many uses. Perhaps we most commonly use it to improve taste, don't we? I mean, what good is fish and chips if you're not going to throw a load of salt and vinegar on the, to- on the top of them? You know, we, we, we love it, don't we? It helps to improve taste in all sorts of ways. But did you know that according to ultra-reliable online sources, (laughs) salt can also be used, amongst other things, to keep your milk fresh. Okay. To relieve your sore throat. Test the freshness of an egg. Remove stains. Eliminate odours. Gosh, keep your windows frost-free. Reduce eye puffiness. And give your skin a glow. Did you know that? As I say, ultra-reliable online sources. Now, if, if they are reliable, none of those things are a source of surprise to Jesus. But when he used the illustration back in the ancient world, salt was primarily used as a preservative. No fridges, no freezers back then, of course. So what Jesus is saying here is that without his misfits... Without his citizens, without his influences, without you and without me, this world gets ever more rotten. Without our presence, this world would be even worse than it is. Just think about that for a moment. I mean... I often find myself reflecting on the blessing that our Christian forebearers have been to us in our own country and the influence that they have had in this country, to our justice and legal system, uh, to our education, to our health provision, social care, uh, uh, the pursuit of the sciences and scientific endeavour. I mean, don't get me wrong, none of this is perfect in our country, is it? Far from it. But the Christian principles that have underpinned our society for so long have been a great blessing and have ensured that further decay has indeed been delayed. Of course, that doesn't guarantee anything for the future, not least because Jesus himself is wise to the fact that it can go wrong. So look at verse 13 again. He says, if salt... If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot amidst the dirt and the sand and the mud. 
Now, strictly speaking, salt in and of itself can never really lose its saltiness. But it can be contaminated. And when it's contaminated, it loses its effectiveness. If, for example, it gets mixed with something else like sand on the ground, it can no longer be used as a preservative. As with salt, so with us. If we allow ourselves to be contaminated with worldly thoughts and words and and aspirations, we will be no use to the king and we will be as good as trampled upon by the world. The worse this world becomes, and boy, it's getting worse, the more it is in desperate need of salty influences to stop the rot. There's an author called Rebecca Manley Pippet. She uh, has an excellent book on evangelism as a way of life. It's helped many a Christian, but she says this, how can we be the salt of the earth if we never get out of the salt shaker? How can we do that? The king's influences are called to be salt that delays decay. But secondly, we're also called to be light that dispels darkness. Let's have another look at verse 14. Verse 14 says this, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, some of you may be thinking, Mike alluded to this earlier, hang on a minute, Jesus said he was the light of the world. So which is it? Is it Jesus or is it us? It's a good question to ask. And the answer to that question, if it's not too much of of a (laughs) cop-out, of course, is both. It's both. If Jesus is the light of the world and Jesus is in us through the presence of his Holy Spirit then guess what? By extension, we too are the light of the world. Just let that sink in. You are supposed to be the light of the world. Not simply point to the light or talk about the light. You and I are supposed to be the light so that people see and encounter Jesus through our words through our deeds every single moment of every single day the light cannot read should not there cannot be hidden don't know if you've ever experienced total darkness I mean no ambient light whatsoever have you experienced that? I remember the first time I experienced it. I was an air cadet. We were visiting the, uh, the Blue John Cavern in Castleton in the Peak District, not too far away from here. I'm sure some of you have been there. We had a tour of the cavern. As part of the tour, they turn off the lights and they encourage you to turn off your torches or mobile phones. We didn't have mobile phones back then, of course. Uh, but you get the picture. And then you wait. And you wait. And you wait for your eyes to get accustomed to the dark which, for those who know, normally takes about five minutes. Your, your, your night vision normally comes, some, you know, enough night vision normally comes in about five minutes. They reckon you probably need about half an hour, 40 minutes to get, to get proper night vision. But you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and nothing happens. Nothing changes. There's no ambient light whatsoever 
down in the cavern. There's no moon, no stars, no distant village or town or anything like that. Nothing. And, and, and I remember being freaked out because, you know, you can literally put your hand in front of your face and you can't see a thing. Nothing. You can't see it. And true darkness is so impenetrable, it's so disorientating, that it can completely mess you up. And that is the biblical picture of a world in darkness. Totally disorientated. Totally lost. And the only remedy is light. And the only source of light is King Jesus. Through his influences. We are like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Remember, in Jesus' day, there was no 24-7 electronic light pollution from human activity. Just the darkness of night that's easily lit up by fire or a candle or a city on the hill. And this light is to be shared. Verse 15. Verse 15 says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. See, true light benefits everybody. I don't get up in the morning and turn on the light and say, right light, this light's just for me, it's only for my benefit, it's not going to benefit anyone else in the house. It doesn't work like that, does it? In, light is indiscriminate in its benefit. Of course, some in the house may like that, you know, because they can get up and they don't need to trip over anything on their way to the bathroom, so they, so they may, may like it. Others may not, more than once or twice. What have you put that on for? Others are simply oblivious. I mean, if you've ever had teenagers, you know what I mean. It doesn't matter what you do. They are just going to sleep. But that's what light does, and that's the reaction to light, actually. It benefits everybody. Some love it. Some rebel against it, don't want it. Others have no idea that they need it. The point, though, is this. Be encouraged because light does benefit everyone, whether they know it, whether they like it, whether they accept it or not. The problem, of course, is that just like salt can become contaminated and lose its effectiveness, so too can light. And if you put light under a bowl, it's useless. Christian, if you never talk about Jesus with the people you spend most of the time with, if we never act in ways that are truly motivated by his compassion, by his mercy, by his generosity, by his forgiveness and justice, if our life choices are indistinguishable to the world's, then we need to be very careful. Because there's a danger that our light is being hidden and our saltiness is being compromised. I remember when I left home for university at 18, only a few people when I arrived in York knew I was a Christian. Certainly if you'd have looked at me and tried to discern what was most important in my life by how I acted and where I invested most of my time, uh, you'd have been quite surprised to learn that I claimed to be a Christian. I mean, yes, I still went to church pretty infrequently. Uh, Yes, I still believed pretty much privately. 
And yes, I still chatted with some friends about God, but very occasionally. And I was brought up short by Debs not long after we'd started going out. I remember her saying something along like these lines to me. She said, you say you believe, and this stuff is important to you, but it's not always obvious by the way that you act. And it's so confusing. My salt was in danger of losing its saltiness. My light was being hidden. And anonymity, or just sort of keeping a low profile if you like, it's not an option for a genuine citizen of the kingdom, for a genuine influencer for the king. Our lives, our words, our deeds, including actually what we don't do sometimes, should all make a massive difference and point a dying, rebellious world to the saviour king that they so desperately need. So how does all this play out in practice, this salt and this light? Maybe like me, you sometimes feel a bit overwhelmed by it all and you don't really know where to start. Maybe like me, you sometimes feel a little bit intimidated and afraid to say something or to behave in a certain way. Maybe you feel it's already a lost cause. Well, here's three things by way of conclusion that I think we should learn from Jesus' pictures of salt and light. Firstly, as the king's influencers, we should recognize our dual responsibility. The king's influencers are supposed to influence in two directions. There's a negative and a positive, okay? Negatively speaking, we need to fight, to fight to stop the rot of sin. Anywhere and everywhere we see its effects in our culture. So, for example, Christians should be salt in all sorts of ways. We are the ones who should be championing the proper protection of the environment. We are the ones with the mandate from the creator to steward well the creation that he has given us. We are the ones who should be the champions in pursuing justice. Justice in our families, where we see that. Justice in the work, uh, workplace, where we see injustice. Where we see injustice in government and between nations. This is how we're sold. We're sold when we work against exploitation. Well, what can we do? We say. But we all have choices where we shop. We are all able to read news and articles and understand what's going on. Salt in how we protect the sanctity of life. And how we work to stop the murder of the unborn in our society. To stop the potential murder of the old or the elderly who feel like they've had enough or have nothing left to, to, to contribute. There are so many ways. We, we should be sharing with those who don't have enough. And well done, by the way. Those who have given and shared and what Teresa has helped us do in this past couple of weeks, getting our annual shoebox appeal a little bit more local, that's been a great example of being salt in our local community to those giving to those directly in need. Supporting the lonely, the orphaned, the abused, upholding and promoting God's better story for marriage and sexual morality in our nation. 
All these, all these ways, many more. They're just examples of how we can be salt for Jesus. That's the negative. We work at that sort of stuff. Positively, though, if that's what we're sort of working to prevent and protect against, positively, the world needs more than the rot simply being stopped, doesn't it? It's not just a case of rot stopping. People need regeneration. People need a new life. People need rescue. People need new hearts so they can be restored to their original relationship with their creator. And all of that only comes from the light of the gospel. It only comes from the gospel being proclaimed. The good news of Jesus' rescue that is on offer for every single human being needs to be articulated. It needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be personalized. Again, in loads and loads of different ways. In conversation, yes. In print. Online. In debate, in our media. Through sermons in a church like this. In family gatherings. At workplace parties. Anywhere. Everywhere. But understand this. You can't do it all. (laughs) All those things I've said, you can't do, you can't stop the rot in all of those things and you can't be light in all of those things. But do you know what we're not called to? The king's influences are not called to do it all, but we are called to do something. And we are called to be salt and light. So work out what your saltiness looks like. Work out what it is that you are most passionate about and get on with it in the way that you can and the way that the king enables you to do it. And then pray for opportunities to shed that light. And do you know what? When you pray for light shedding opportunities, they tend to come. (laughs) They tend to come. So recognize your dual responsibility. Secondly, the king's influences need to be sensitively courageous. In other words, be sensitive. Don't overdo it and cause unnecessary offense. But equally... Be courageous and don't hold back. You see, it's possible, isn't it, to use modern idiom to rub salt in someone's wounds or to shine a light in their eyes. Both of which generally go unwelcomed, don't they? You're just rubbing salt in the oh, light, shot, you, know, you know what it's like. All God wants us to do is spread salt and be a light. Keep those lights illuminated. And I think generally, if you'll permit me this assumption, it is an assumption, but I think generally our problem is not so much a lack of sensitivity, but a lack of courage. You see, if we're worried about being insensitive, and I I hear a lot of that, not just in our church family, um, but, but in Christian circles generally, we're worried about how sensitive we are in what we say. But generally, if we're worried about that, that usually means we're aware enough not to be insensitive. Because if we're worried about it, then we're going to, you know, that's not going to be too much of a problem. No, most of us need more of an encouragement to courageously shine our light and to actually open our mouths. We need to go for it. And one of the best things I think we can remember in those moments is this. It's called good news for a reason. (laughs) It's good. 
It's good news. Too often, aren't we? We're forced on the back foot. Oh, you Christians are just, you, you hate dot, 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 whatever it is. Oh, you Christians are just against da, 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 da. No, 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 we're not. We're for. We're for Jesus. We're for good news. We are for life. We're for life to the full as it was intended to be by the one who gave it to us. And Jesus, King Jesus, has a much, much better story to tell for our lives than the one that this world tells. It's a great story. You've got dual responsibility. Be sensitively courageous. And finally, the king's influencers need to be hope-filled realists. What do I mean by that? Hope-filled realists. Well, realistically, as we saw last week, this is what Jesus tells us to expect. We expect persecution. If it was good enough for our Lord and we're following in his footsteps, we will be blessed in and through that persecution when it comes our way. But persecution isn't always the response to our sensitively courageous influence. Sometimes it will produce a positive response. Look at verse 16 as we come to a close of Matthew 5. Verse 16 says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and do what? Praise your God in heaven, your Father in heaven. Yes, we are living in challenging times, no doubt about it. Really, really challenging times. But as one writer puts it, our age is quite simply the greatest opportunity for Christian witness since the time of Jesus and the apostles. That's a great way to look at it, isn't it? We have an unprecedented opportunity to be salt and light. It is all to play for. It's all to play for. We have a much better story to tell the world than the one it is currently consuming. So be encouraged. Be full of hope of what the Lord will do when his people humble themselves, when they pray, and they commit to act as salt and light. Because the deeper the darkness, the more powerful the light shines however weak it may seem in isolation let's pray heavenly father we so want to be your salt and light in this world We recognize, Father, that this world is not what you created it to be. That there is so much that is wrong and that it is a dark place. And Lord, we confess to you that sometimes we are afraid. And so, Lord, please, by your spirit, would you take your word and encourage us by these two pictures of how we need to be salt and light of a better story. Help us to be sensitive Help us to be courageous. Help us to be realistic. But help us to be full of hope.
in this wonderful news that you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.